This is the iFanboy Pick of the Week podcast, episode 408, brought to you by iFanboy listeners just like you. Welcome to the iFanboy Pick of the Week podcast, episode 408. My name is Paul Montgomery. Joining me this week, Mr. Connor Kilpatrick. Hello. And our special guest host, Ali Coluccio. Well, howdy. <laughs> she follows the script. I like it. <laughs> we are iFanboy, and we like comics. And every week, we read a bunch of comics. And one of us picks the best book that they read. We call that the Pick of the Week. And we talk about it on this year's podcast, along with you know other books and things and stuff and nonsense and goofy things. Uh, But before we get to the show, where to caution, this is a review show. We will be talking about all the stuff that happens in those books. So if you're worried about that, if you're worried about spoilers, just pause, come back and join us. Um, And don't call the cops on us. (laughs) Spoiler cops. I told you there might be trouble with my cat. She (laughs) held up a bank earlier. Cats, cat, cat was expensive. God, it's spoiler brigade this week. Connor had to pick. Connor, what was the pick this week? What did you like? What what tickled your fancy? Uh, funny story. I was uh, sitting on my couch, having just finished this week's books, and I was like, "Oh crap," because nothing was really very good. And then I looked on my coffee table, and realized, "Oh, I had missed zero number two. And I read zero number two, and I went, "Ah, yes, zero number two from Image Comics." And written by Alice Cott. This issue is drawn by Trad Moore. Each, I think each, each issue, Paul, is having a different artist. Yeah, it's a different artist for each issue. This was a great issue. We, we, we quite enjoyed issue one. We talked about it last time it was on, on the show. But uh, in, a, in a week, week, and I don't mean that to damn Zero with faint praise, but it, it was a great book. would have been picked any, any other week. But this was a week where not much really gave it a run for its money. But Zero Two really gave us a look at this main character, Edward Zero, who we met. In the first issue, was is a secret, enhanced secret agent. Uh, he was running around trying to trying to um, retrieve some technology in the hands of terrorists in the first issue. But we really met him in a flash forward, in which he is an old man about to be murdered by a young kid. And in this issue, we really sort of learn his history and why that opening scene in the series is so chilling, because he comes from a um, agency in which they tra- train you to be a killer and a spy from a very, very, very early age. And uh, it was great. I and mean, this was a great character piece and a great sort of delving into his history. And I like the fact that we started the series off him an adult and we go back and we learn why things are important later as opposed to, you know, have, having the story go chronologically, which probably wouldn't have been as impressive. But uh, I, I don't know about you. I'd, I'd much rather go to like Hogwarts <laughs> than the school. <laughs> um, this, is, this is interesting because and, and I like that you said that, that you know, the first issue – um, we got to see sort of a field operation, and we got to see also sort of maybe the end of his life and sort of the cruel cycle of these operatives and being trained from a very young age. And now in this issue, we get to see what that training was like and what kind of program that is. And it all culminates in this really intense scene where he has to hide in a house for three days and then eliminate this target who is a family man 
and the, he's he's sitting in this in this uh, in this pantry that apparently no one uses for three days, <laughs> and he's just is peering through the the crack. And, yeah, and just watching this guy go about his life, and there's some interesting slice of life stuff where I love this just big rotund dude, this target, this big beardy guy, and Trad Moore draws him as like this big barrel chested kind of dude, and I love that panel where he's sitting on the floor between. Um, his two two kids' beds, yep. and like reading them a story, um, and it's just a very it's just a casual look at at his home life. And but this is this is you know a, a dude that's about to be eliminated, and ultimately uh, Zero does shoot the guy, but it kind of goes square, and it goes to this it goes to the second floor, and he does shoot him like in the arm a couple times. Uh, but ultimately, there's a backup agent outside who has to do the the final headshot and kill because, uh, because the kids tend to normally fail on their first minute. It was uh, I, I really enjoyed the um, setup to this. I mean, I liked seeing you know the the kids who in this creepy school and and all that. But I thought really the strength of it was this final scene that you mentioned, which was very intense and and it started off as sort of creepy as he hung out in the house. And he was he was often a shadow lingering in the background as he watched over things. And then once the violence unfolds, I thought it was a lot of great touches. Like when uh, he goes to shoot his target and the tar- he misses the target, goes for his gun and finds that all of his clips are empty. Because clearly he had gone gone to the house and mm. taken out all the possible weapons this guy could have had. And I thought that was a neat twist. And then the fact that he couldn't actually pull the trigger because he is a little kid. But then at the very end, we see sort of his humanity has been stripped away as... At least that's how I interpreted the final three panels in which uh, he's sitting on the bench talking to his handler and, and suddenly it looks like a, a ch- child has scribbled out their heads with crayon as it seemed to me to indicate that he was looking as not as people anymore as, as they lost their humanity. Yeah, it's, I, think it's, I think it's kind of open to interpretation, but it's like, you know, the ambiguity of these two people just too... Uh, it, it could also mean that, like, these are just two random people sitting on the bench on a bench and they could be anybody. Mm-hmm. And it's just like just how how deep undercover they are, how how embedded this whole thing is. And it's it uh, I thought a really striking way to to end out the issue. Alescott, you're not quite as ubiquitous as Charles Soule, who we'll talk about again in this episode, but um this his name is getting out there. Right. He just he's he's uh, he was on uh, what Suicide Squad over at DC that didn't last too Very long, briefly. but now he's over at Marvel, going to be doing um, Iron Patriot and Secret Avengers um, and some really really interesting indie stuff. So I would recommend that people check out things like Zero and, and Wild Children and and Change and um, just a, a a super intelligent guy with some great insights and and really politically charged stories, mm-hmm. not. Not easy stories, not um, a lot like a lot of difficult topics. So yeah, this is very great. Allie, did you get a chance to read this? Um, yeah, no, I did. It's kind of funny that you said that you liked how it started out with like the future and like being on the mission, and then it went back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do like that structure, except I so I read issues one and two tonight because there were only two, and I figured I might as well read them back to back. And uh, I finished the first one. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like this. (laughs) It was just a bit too, I mean, you have this, this hard grizzled character and there's not really anything to grab onto. Right. It's pretty bleak. It's pretty nihilistic. It's it's really bleak. I mean, this is also really bleak, but 
I think you see all those little touchstones and all those little terrible training things that he goes through. And I love there's that scene in the classroom and they're basically taught that being is being in a state of war and that's all there is to existence. And then while he's watching this family be a family while he's creeping in the closet, he hears the mom say that, you know, love is all that there is and family. It does not compute in his psychopathic brain. It does not compute and doesn't really have much of an effect. (laughs) I also was very surprised that they were British. Yeah, we we couldn't figure that out in the first issue we talked about the show. They kept calling the agency, so we figured it was the CIA, but we learned in this issue that it's actually a British agency. I can't imagine it's MI6, but... um, but in this uh, issue, there's also there's some touching stuff. There's you know with the the female classmate and but I feel like that's what serves to to grind yeah. the hope out of us. Like we see, oh well, maybe he's got it. Nope, nope, he's awful. Um, but it isn't like yeah, he's no, evil. I mean, he's just been turned into like a machine. For the character, it's definitely like grinding down your hope for him. But in terms of the the overall world, I think there's a, there's some kind of heart under there somewhere with this this girl who and it's and it's you know it's kind of cold but like she says you know will, will you marry me and he says no and then <laughs> like she says but i you know we're gonna die but let, let, let's let's die holding each other's hands <laughs> and that's this book's version of of hopeful and kind of tender so i don't know i know i like this idea of of a different artist each book that can very often lead to a, a jumpy feeling in that but i, I did like the I like this. It can, but if it's if it's yeah, consistently different each issue, and he seems to be changing up the tone each issue, I don't, and I don't know necessarily that he's trying to match it up with the artist right. specifically. What, but what I like is that because um, is Jordi Valera the colorist throughout? Yeah, I've never heard of her before. She um, <laughs> is she up and coming? She's new to this, I think. I don't know. She's new. I don't know. Oh, I think wait. she colored every single book I read this week, and she's fantastic and wonderful. But I feel like that keeps, even though the art styles are different, I think that kind of keeps a consistency to the book. Right. Like she has a, a very strong color style. Yeah, and I think that you know. If that stays consistent and the obviously it's the writing stays consistent, I think it's one of those fine line things because you know it's not that like all of her books look the same, but you can I can usually tell that it's you know that it's a Jordi Belair book if that makes sense oh, like yeah. it's but it's also I don't know it's <laughs> It's a pretty good gamble to say that Shorty Blair colored the book because she's doing everything these days. So, so I think I think the interesting thing about this book is going to be going forward because I think Al, your point is very astute in that this could get very oppressively bleak very quickly. The question mm-hmm. is, where does it go from here? Now that we've met, we met him in the field. Now we know why he is what he is. Now what happens? You know, and that's the question for me as a reader. You know, I don't I don't want to read this indefinitely forever. I definitely want to see yeah. some sort of character arc going here, but uh, you know. And I feel like maybe there's maybe there's got to be something because like he is like that opening scene is the kid with the gun to the back the back of his head, and he's like, "Listen, kid, I have to tell you a story first. Right? Maybe he does so, find his humanity, and, and as he as he gets older, and that will be the story. But it'll be interesting. I, I do want to see it where it goes. I think it's important that he's not that other kid. There's there's Edward and then Robert. Right. Like. Who just looks like I don't know, like Voldemort sitting there. Like, <laughs> sorry to keep going to the Harry Potter references, but like he looks just like stone cold. 
And I think there's there. It's important that there's a difference and there's and it's important that he wasn't able to do that kill shot in this issue. Yeah, Robert definitely killed the person in their first his first mission. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't fail. Yeah. But I'm, I'm Plenty glad of collateral I, damage too. I'm glad I read Zero. I wasn't originally going to read it. I just did, did it as a whim the first time, and I'm really enjoying these two. And Alice Cott is someone definitely to keep your eye he's out a, for. He's a really interesting voice. Uh, yeah. So now the only other book that really gave this one a run for its money, pick-wise, was Hawkeye 13. The, o- the only problem I had with it, and this wasn't really a fault of the issue, was just that uh, I couldn't remember when the last time I'd read an issue was, and I couldn't <laughs> remember where we were in the story. And... The, the the way this story was constructed, it sort of weaved in and out of a few issues that we've yes. already read. So that was like triply confusing because I thought, wait, Kate's back. No, wait, the dog's back. No, wait, no, now they're gone. And it was yeah, we're seeing we're seeing Clint's half of some scenes that we had previously seen through the eyes of Lucky the dog and uh, through Kate. Yeah, I think in in her so, issues. I mean, that's not the fault of the issue. It's a great. It, it was it was another great issue. And I'm sure if you read them all together, it'd be wonderful. It's just for me. Right. I found a lot of it trying to figure out where I was, which takes you out of the story because now I'm trying to figure out when it, can I dig up those old issues and figure this out. But um, right, but apparently that the next issue is coming very quickly, yeah. according to the letter in the back. But <laughs> this is just it was it, it's always it's always refreshing to see this book because like it's it's a it's a superhero book that looks like a great european comic that you unearthed at like a flea market or something like right. it looks like this came from like your your aunt's trip to belgium or something it's just <laughs> it's uh it's a beautiful looking book and they can take their time with it if, you know well, I have sure, I, I, i'd rather have more them do the book the book i'd rather not have the fill-ins but i'm just you know it was a while and i think if it had been a regular issue not an issue that blended in with other issues specifically then it would have been less of a problem um but God, Clint is frustrating. He just yeah. every 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 turn he makes the wrong decision, and I know that's part of the <laughs> yeah. appeal of the book. But you're just like God, Clint. Right. Don't fall asleep while Kate's opening her heart to you. Oh. <laughs> uh, I, I, that was one of my, my favorites. Was like that the reaction shot from the women in his life, just like staring at him, like, "What is wrong with you, you dirtbag?" Yeah, I mean. I, I still really love it. It's just there was there was that problem with it. It's, it's a gorgeous looking. I love that Clint looks like a person in the world. Like he wears real. I love that he wears yeah, clothes. Yeah, I that love are that he's always and he's always beat up. Yeah, he's always beat up and bandaged, and I think it's fantastic. Um, I can never say enough good things about Hawkeye. Did anybody else notice that this was all nine panel grids all the way throughout? I'm noticing it now that you say it. Um, <laughs> now that I mentioned it. I was like halfway through and I was like, hey, this looks familiar. It really leads to a very dense feeling story when you've got nine panel grids on every page. It you're, does, you're yeah. Getting yeah. your money's worth. It does. And it, and it's funny because I liked, there were points where I was like, okay, wait, where are they? But I liked that it's, even though it took so long to get here, it's kind of tied up everything that was all over the place the last right. few months. Um. So uh, it felt like a really good catch-up issue. And where else are you gonna, in a superhero book you're going to get on, on the toilet? Just straight up on the toilet. No uh, pretenses. Sometimes no. you got who? Nowhere but Hawkeye. It really wasn't great to be back. I like that his brother is here because he's, he's like just as hapless and useless as Clint at times. Um, well, he actually makes Clint look like he's got his stuff together, which is <laughs> exactly. pretty shocking. <laughs> the genes in that family are... It's, they got problems. 
circus but people. Happy it's back, and happy it'll and we'll get another issue soon. And and uh, I just wish it had been a different issue where they had taken the delay on it because then I would have been less confused. Now, Indestructible Hulk special number one is the second part of the story that started in all new X-Men special number one, which was the pick of the week a few weeks ago. That's right. I enjoyed it. Another good issue. I thought in the same vein. As the it's just one. super charming. There's a whole splash page of the Hulk with puppies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they found a way to calm Hulk down and turn him into Banner, dump a bunch of puppies on him. And it's a bunch of puppies. And then you find out that they're like puppies from people in S.H.I.E.L.D., <laughs> which I think is terrifying. I just want to see that email. This yeah. internal memo, like anybody puppies. who's got puppies, got not, puppies. like, and then yeah. like the, you know, are there any replies? You're like, well, my dog is like seven months old. Is that sort of past the cutoff? I'm like, well, what, what breed dog is it? You know, like, send some pictures, send some JPEGs, and we'll decide if they're cute enough. <laughs> or the guy um, doesn't try to doesn't are you respond. Are puppy for nothing? Don't worry about it. Not at all to put in front of the Hulk. Agent Montgomery, we know you have puppies. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I think this is this is fun, and I think it's interesting that this story is happening without much fanfare or much, you know, prior, no, you know, knowledge. Is a better way of putting it, but there's, there hasn't been. I didn't really know it was happening to Paul until you made the pick, and now it's running through. Yeah, it was, it was just something I was like going across comicsology. I was like, "What the hell is this?" And I was like, "It's a special, but it's during an event that they're doing in that same book." Like a big crossover thing, and so, so maybe that's part of it. Is that you know, Infinity's going on right now, and Battle of the Atoms going on. So, you know, this isn't being talked about as much. But it's it's just kind of cool that they're doing these like special times. They've done them with with annuals, mm-hmm. where it, it's a story that goes goes across a bunch of them. Um, but but it's it's cool. It's it's um you know, and it's it's got old school Elton John looking Doctor Octopus, which I always like, and I. I love the idea that Superior Spider-Man, so, so Octavius inside Spider-Man's body, is kind of like offended by <laughs> the return of his old self. Like he finds himself sort of revolting, and you know he's the Superior Spider-Man. He's all ego, and you know this this is a, an affront to everything that he's accomplished in the past you know year or two, whatever how long this has been, and. It, it continues to be super charming with young uh, Hank McCoy, who's a big fan of Rod Stewart. That's his idea of contemporary <laughs> music. Um, well, now we and, know they're from the 80s. That's yeah, exactly. I was thinking that. Yeah, it kind of puts a, a you know a, a date stamp on the whole thing. But I love these characters. I'm so glad that it, it appears that they're you know around for at least a while. These young X Men in the modern day. I think they're, it's like it was such a weird idea, but then they bring this interesting perspective to everything that's happened since then, which is it's kind of a, a meta commentary, but uh, not in an obnoxious way. It's worked so, so well. I really thought it was going to be terrible. Um, it's probably one of my like most happy surprises um, of the whole Marvel Now thing is that original original flavor x-men are back and um they just fit really well with everything mm-hmm. i like that this issue was very science oriented you know like it was you had bruce banner and you had secret dr octopus and you had uh hank mccoy and you had these other scientists in a room trying to figure this problem out of are these time travelers are they lmds what's going on why are there and i, th- I like that aspect of it where while that was happening 
the rest of the X Men were bored because <laughs> yeah, oh, that, that like the two page thing where you like you yeah, travel around the page and it tells this like story of like several hours of just sitting around the lab. That was wonderful. Yeah, no, I liked, yeah. I liked it a lot. It's been so a really good. fun story. Mike Costas written both issues and he's done a great job. Uh, it's been really really fun. I did not even know this was a thing at yeah. all. No, I mean it was crazy. I'm I'm glad Paul you picked it because otherwise I would have missed it. And so there you go. There's I'm glad I picked it too. Um, one of the best things about having a uh, guest on the show like Allie is that you'll often want to talk about books we don't normally talk about, like The Sixth Gun. So number 35 came out this week. Allie, why don't you tell us how that's been going, how the book's been lately? Because Paul and I both read this in trade. Yeah, I, I felt like there was a there was a point where I was going to go back to trade reading, but I'm terrible at, at actually buying trades. So I've stuck with it in issues, and I'm so happy it's already at issue 35. It's crazy. I'm really happy it's lasted yeah. so long. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, and they're they're going on to their next arc. And so the last arc has been Becky in the spirit world, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, bad stuff happens with the guns. And uh, she gets put in this, like, I think they call it a ghost walk, a ghost trance. And so it's like this guided spiritual thing. Um, and they're hiding with a bunch of Native Americans while the widow Hume is beating down on them with her crazy frog-like mother-in-law. <laughs> who's a witch obviously is she getting high is that what this is i don't it could be peyote, <laughs> could peyote. Be but there's there's always the staple of when you go on one of these spiritual journeys you're you're met by a spirit animal and that spirit animal walks you through your path mm-hmm. except that becky's spirit animal gets shot by an outside <laughs> force that's trying to kill her regular body in like the first issue she goes under. And so basically she's traveling alone, running from all of these outside forces that are literally outside the hut that she is in and in the spirit world. And basically she's got to find her way through all of the different parallel futures that the guns would create. So the thing about the six guns is there are six of them and they all have crazy, wacky, mystical powers. And when you bring them all together, you can destroy the world and rebuild it however you want to rebuild it. So depending on who has the guns, when shit goes down, they build the world however they see fit. So Becky is basically running through all of these different worlds. and That's cool. It's really cool. And so this issue, well, this last page from the last issue and in this issue, it's her on the farm with her dad and she's married to the blonde guy whose name I never remember and they have two kids. And so it was the world that she created, uh, having the guns. And so she has a very nasty confrontation with herself and then luckily finally gets out and wakes up. It's a great series. I'm really glad it's continuing. One of my favorite things about it that no one ever talks about or just, so it's my little quirk is that it's full of great names. Yeah. Helen Bunn comes with great names for the characters. Just like, you know, a somewhat minor thing, but it's I always enjoy whenever a new character shows up with a great name. Yeah, the Widow Hume's mother-in-law's name is Griselda. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Which is uh, pretty fantastic. <laughs> so now um, I'm really curious, Allie, to, th- to see what you're thinking of Wonder Woman these days. Wonder Woman 24, this is the aftermath of the basically the 23-issue arc we had to open this book up in which... Wonder Woman made her journey to end up as the god of war in the Olympian pantheon. And so this issue we had a Goran Tsuzuka fill-in. Who, I thought he did a great job. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I did too. Yeah, he's been, I've been liking his fill-ins. I liked um, Tony Atkins too. Yeah. 
when he was coming in on stuff. I mean, it's not Cliff Chang, but it's still damn good. No. And the Matt colors are. So what do we think, Ali? You're 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 a real big Wonder Woman fan. I'm along for the ride with Azarello and with this. I bought in very early, and I felt like it was kind of meandering for a bit. There was definitely so, a bit in the middle where it was. Yeah, and so I feel like the last like five six issues have it's gotten back to where. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, this is a book I need to read every time it comes out. And then they had Villains Month. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> every story ground to all. I, one thing I think that's really important about this, and people were complaining when she was originally made God of War because it's a, a sort of antithesis of peace, but she doesn't want to be God of War. And that's yes. where the drama comes from. It's not like she's reveling in being God of War. It's, she's, got, and, and, she's been given this position that she does not want. And, and that, that's, that's the drama. A lot of you too. Yeah. Like it's, I, I didn't really have a choice. Like she did what had to be done. And she's gonna deal with the consequences in the way that she has to. But no, she doesn't. She doesn't want to be part of Olympus. She doesn't want to be an Olympian. She definitely doesn't want to be the god of war. But I think it's it's also. I feel like Wonder Woman and the Amazons in general probably have a complicated relationship with the god of war because right. they are a warrior race mm-hmm. for the most part. You know, they they are these elite warriors. These warriors that are better than most of the men. And while they, for the most part, have lived in peace on Themyscira to kind of stay away from everything, they still train as warriors. So I feel like that's always a little bit in the background of the character. Right. Yeah, um, and when, when she had to kill War, that, that was one of my, my picks of the week. And what I loved about that was that, and it was, wasn't a new thing for that issue, but I love that War isn't a bad guy. I mean, yeah. he's a he's a very complex character with interesting motivations. But that original war was such su- such an and that that not even decision that need to to kill him was such an interesting story choice and created th- this really uh, interesting dynamic where she's part of this this uh, chess game that Apollo is playing and. He's, uh, you know, trying to form these alliances with the with the other gods and, you know, ridiculous looking uh, Poseidon and <laughs> just look with his walrus head and his tentacles and stuff. And um, I thought I, I thought strife was really interesting in this issue yeah. because you'd think like strife and war would be like this. But they had they have a very or they had they had a very tempestuous um, relationship, which kind of makes sense being that her name was Strife. But I like that she's kind of like like drunk in mourning and coming in and like, you guys didn't, you know, he just died and you, there's no respect at all. And, and you know, and um, now she's, it looks like she's going to go after Diana to herself become the new god of war. So that I think that's going to be because... Diana will be happy to hand it off. I think so too. It didn't mean her dying. She'd be fine with... Giving her that title. You know, what did you What did you think of the uh, the coat? But she'd be okay giving that title to Strife, though. Right, I think true. she no. she does, yes. she does yeah. not want to be the god of war. She doesn't, but she also doesn't want other people being the god of war either. And I think that'll be something interesting to see play out. Right. Um, because the whole reason that she kills War and takes on his mantle is because she doesn't want the firstborn to. She doesn't want that to fall on the firstborn, and I don't think she'd want it to fall into strife either. Um, Al, Al, if it meant destroying that car outside, you could be the god of war. <laughs> I was going to say, I there was a car alarm. I, I moved to Jersey, and apparently, I think that uh, the, one of the best things about this book is that it's very complex and interesting, which which seems so trite, but it's true. 
there's a very interesting story happening here, and there's a lot of complicated dealings between the characters and relationships, and yeah, kind of a Game of Thrones kind of political yeah. intrigue kind of thing, and a little infighting, and that's always fun. I really like it's that. It's brilliant. Point. I love the. Um, I love that we got to see Hermes again mm-hmm. for the first time in a long time. Yeah, um, and he was just trying to protect the say, you know the scion of uh, Zeus, uh, which was cool. And again, completely complicated and throwing wrenches and gears left and right. I really like what Azarello is doing with this book, and I can't be happier that the Wonder Woman book is so complex and rich and fantastic. It's a great book. It's one of the, one of yeah. DC's best by far. Um, I want to talk about Letter 44, number one, because we haven't talked about Charles Soule this week yet. Uh, this is a new Oni series by Charles Soule and Alberto Albuquerque. Uh, Letter 44, being talked about a lot uh, from a lot of creators on, on Twitter, so I, I better check this out. And it's interesting because you know he's been doing so, m- so many mainstream books. Let's see him do his own sort of creator own kind of well, series. He, start, he started with those. He started with oh, those. yeah, 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 I know. But let's see what it's like now after, right. you know, Having done you know Swamp Thing and and Thunderbolts and and all these books, he's, he's doing and you know Superman Wonder Woman, which you guys talked about last week. Letter forty four is the uh, referring to the letter left for incoming President forty four of of the United States, who is who seems to be an Hispanic um, analog for uh, Barack Obama. And oh, I heard about this book. This, yeah. Ah, oh, crap. I should have bought. That. I should have got this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the letter. Okay, and then for and President Forty Three, President Carroll is clearly an analog for George W. Bush, and basically this new president, President Blades, comes in, and he uh, he picks up this letter. This is this is a thing that you know in real life. You know, the president leaves a a, a note for the the incoming president uh, on his last day, and so. He opens up this letter marked 44. Uh, this is before he's sworn in. And it basically says that all this stuff that I've been doing that you think I'm a moron, I'm this hick and, and uh, I'm you know, this warmonger and stuff. All these choices have just you know, uh, driven the country into the ground with all these wars that we don't belong in and stuff. But all those choices were because there is some alien stuff going on <laughs> up there in outer space. And they're building like a gun up there. And we don't know what's going on, but so all of these choices is so like the reason I'm you know building up our military complex is so we'll be prepared for whatever they want to do, and you know and all of these choices like he says you know he's let the economy sort of go to pot because it doesn't matter compared to this alien threat, and basically this is President Blades has to deal with this now the other component is that they sent a spaceship up there called the Clark and it's full of all these scientists, one of which is now pregnant. And they're heading towards this this construction site in outer space that they found to rendezvous with it to see what's going on. Nobody knows about it but the president. And my only real problem with this book is that the president believes the letter right off the bat. Like, yeah, he doesn't – there, there isn't a second where he's like, this is a practical joke from the outgoing president. Like, that's weird. This is usually, you know, kind of a sacred ritual. You decided to, to, to pull a prank, but, you know, we're on, a, you know, we're from, uh, you know, opposite ends of the political spectrum. You're having fun with me. This is like, you know, Donna in the West Wing on her first day and the iodine tablets and the, the you know, and, and the, the, the missiles under the Eisenhower putting green, that whole thing. Yeah. Um, 
he doesn't suspect for a second that it's a joke. Guys, and he goes is around that an asking, alien problem. And he guys and he goes around asking <laughs> exactly, right? And he goes around asking people and they're like, Well, it's like we try to keep that secret around here. But but I, I just thought it was I thought it was a little odd that there isn't like a panel or two devoted to, well, this is clearly a joke. This is clearly. Because if I had known, I would not have run. And I just mean like, after, I, I just watched like House of Cards. And so like, maybe I have like the, the more cynical view of like, you know, what these relationships are like. And they spend a lot of the issue talking about like him and his, his chief of staff talking about how this guy is a moron and they hate each other and he doesn't like, they don't agree with any of his decisions. And so why would you automatically believe something as outlandish as there's aliens up there? That's why it did all these things. It's a weird, I'm actually reading a book right now called the president's club. It's about ex presidents and their relationship with their current presidents. And it's a very interesting dynamic they have. Um, a lot of them become friends and allies after hating each other. Nonfiction, you mean? Yes, nonfiction. It's real. Life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yes, it's real life, Paul. Let's. Ah, fuck. I, I. I heard about this book a few months ago, and I, I knew I wanted to read it, and I missed it. It's a very interesting book. I like the art. Um, it just. I had. It was just that one suspension of disbelief kind of thing that kind of bothered me. But uh, I'm curious to see where it goes. Um, very similar, I guess, to Paul Cornell's book, Saucer Country. Right. Right. Um. I like this a little bit better. Tell us, tell people quickly how they can help the show. You can pick out things like Saucer Country and the Snoopy Snow Cone Machine, I guess. Do they have at, that on Amazon? Do they have I'm it? Sure they I do. Buy I'm that. sure they do. I fanboy.com slash Amazon. And, uh, you know, Amazon gets all the monies. They've got deep pockets. So why not let some of that slip through their deep pockets into our smaller pockets? Much, 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 much smaller. smaller so Lint-filled pockets. Help us keep the lights on. Uh, we would greatly appreciate that. You can also go to the site, and uh, we have a thing in the uh, in the toolbar for memberships. Um, so you can uh, you can give us a little bit of support if you'd like each month. It's less than it used to be. Three dollars and three thirty dollars. A bargain. Yeah. So uh, you can help us out and um, help keep the lights on over at iFanboy. Thank we'll you. keep producing great content for you. And we appreciate so every, everyone who donates and or becomes a member and or uses iFanboy's Amazon link. This issue of Animal Man, Animal Man 24, featured the art by Raphael Albuquerque. I just don't care about all this stuff in the red and the green and the gray. And no, exactly. I don't. And that's the, Are I they just, still in the red? They went back. They're so never like, leaving they're, the red alley, ever. They were, it's like they, lost they, in the island. They it's, took they took a step out of the red for a little bit, and there was like all the the great stuff, like the him being nominated, yeah. you know, for an Oscar or whatever. I also thought and they could is, do a better job in this issue of hiding the fact that they can't say Academy Awards because of licensing reasons. They could have done a better job of just that instead of making up a fake award name, which sounded stupid. But anyway, yeah, I'm just calling it the Oscar. The Globies. I don't. I have this problem with all these books. When Earth 2 was dealing with the gray and, and Swamp Thing and the green, and the, I just don't care about any, any of these things. It's nothing to do with their and, you individual know, the, the talents of the writers. Darkest Night stuff with all the, the colored lantern stuff. And I just that don't wasn't care. racist. I don't, I don't care. You know what I meant. I know what you mean. I, I feel like, and, and it's part of the reason I kind of drifted away from Animal Man, is I loved all of the smaller character family moments and not this giant mythos and the mythos is cool and i understand what they're doing with it touch on the mythos occasionally just do it you know one every 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 six months then he has to deal with stuff in the red that's fine but he could be a superhero 
otherwise and not be you know i just uh and it's like they it's like they're reading like magic the gathering cards like they're just it's like it's all the all the world building stuff is like too much in the foreground like left let some of it be unsaid and then you get to have like i mean there's cool images in here like there was like a llama thing with a hat and (laughs) did a great job with it parrot pirate yeah it's it's it's, i mean it's gorgeous looking monsters and stuff and like weird um like body horror kind of things and i like that but stop like giving things names and talking about it and it just it's all this abstract stuff that they're trying to make concrete and it's just like this walking nightmare and i i i'm with you guys i prefer the domestic stuff and dealing with the family and dealing with the you know him being nominated for this award when his kid just died well, like they're not going to deal with that anymore because apparently in the DCU there'll be no more movies seeing as how the red attacks the oscars and kills everyone <laughs> exactly so <laughs> no more movies DCU cuz tom hanks is dead Oh man! See, even in the even in the DCU, a Wonder Woman movie can't get made. <laughs> Paul, what is Strange Nation? Uh, Strange Nation is a new book by Paul Allor and artist Juan Romero. And here's the thing: so I, I'm talking about a bunch of alien stuff this week. This is not really my territory. Like, I'm not really an X Files guy, but I know Paul Allor. He writes some great stuff. I'll put him up there in the uh, LS pot camp in terms of guys you should be watching. He's done some Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles micro series stuff. He's going to do the Shredder book. And let's see what, what Paul Allor is up to. And I th- he has this great voice where it's fun reading his books. Some some writers you want to be like transparent and you don't want to pay attention to the prose, but his his dialogue and his caption boxes are so just well written that he's a great prose stylist. But it doesn't get in the way of of the read. And so, anyways, this is this is a sort of a gray alien kind of story, an X Files kind of story about this woman who was a legit journalist who happened to stumble onto um, a situation where she was tracking cultists in the woods who were getting into fistfights with Sasquatches while a flying saucer was overhead. And she's taking pictures of the stuff because she's a, a reporter. She's a, a journalist. And she takes this back to her editor. And she's like, he's like, you're a crazy person. This is for tabloids. And basically, she was laughed out of She should have taken it to the president. And he would have been like, <laughs> She should have yes, taken it to the president. She should have written a letter. Bomb the abortists. <laughs> and so now she's like, what am I going to do? So she so she signs up to to write for this strange nation thing. And um, her, her, her doting parents, who seem to be very wealthy, are very interested in you know her prospects and they they hold these parties where it's clear that they're trying to wine and dine these people into hiring her maybe for like a PR job or something but she knows the truth the truth is out there she she has seen the stuff and there's also this inkling at the end of the issue that her father might be involved because in his closet he's got a cultist's uh, robe similar to the ones worn uh, by the guys uh, doing this ritual in in you know, the forest in the you beginning know all rich people are part of cults or secret societies. Exactly. <laughs> this has got a, a gorilla who's become sentient, basically. It's like a gorilla head grafted onto a regular dude's body. Mm. And, uh, you know, government conspiracy secret kind of stuff. And I thought it, I thought it was really entertaining. I thought it was funny. The, all the characters have um, really rich sort of backstories, which is really impressive for like a single issue. Like it just felt like these these characters had history. They had lived. This is a lived-in world, and um, 
I will be I will be reading more of this. I'm, I'm excited about it. Uh, this is from Monkey Brain. Oh, okay. Oh, nice. Cool. Let's take like a quick detour brain. into the event side of the uh, comic book world. Quickly, what's going on <laughs> with Infinity? Okay, I'm the Infinity guy. Uh, Avengers number 21, and this is Hickman and Lanil Francis Yu. And uh, it's, it's you, so it looks fantastic. I love the way you draws um, operatic space stuff. Same with uh, Jerome Pena. I think these, these two guys in particular have been perfect for this story. The reason I wanted to talk about Avengers 21, if you're into Marvel Cosmic, which I, I love Guardians of the Galaxy, not particularly this volume of it, but like the, the Abnett and Landing stuff, because it, it went into the lore. This... This book we've talked about a lot because Infinity, because Hickman sort of pulled out, you know, like he's he's pulled back on the lens so that it's it's more about the macrocosm, like the bigger picture of the Marvel universe, and it's a little bit arm's length with the the characters. So what they what he does do really well is is the mythology, and there's some really interesting things that happened in this issue, like previously. The supreme intelligence of the Kree, the big floaty giant head thing, said that, you know, we're going to bow down to these bad dudes and we're not going to fight because so much bad has happened and we don't want anyone to die. And Ronan the Accuser, who's like this born warrior, was forced to lay down arms and say, OK, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to surrender. Not so much this issue. He decides to hammer uh, into the head of the supreme intelligence, and say, "No, I'm, I'm fighting with the Avengers. I'm fighting the good fight. I, I don't want to. I don't want to lay down arms." And uh, also, they unleashed um, their trump card, the Annihilation Wave, against these bad guys, against the architects and uh, or the builders, excuse me. And uh, the builders are like, "Those things are based on a hive mind. So what if we have them just eat each other?" What if, we ju- what if we just use telepathy to say, you bite that one, and then I want bites that one, and that one bites the other one, and they keep just killing each other. So they destroy the Annihilation Wave, which is one of the nastiest things in the Marvel Universe. How, how, how far into this event are we now? Halfway? We're, we're near the end. Um, I think there's there, this, you know, we're coming up on issue six of Infinity, five or six, and there's a couple of new Avengers and Avengers issues around there, but... Um, it's it's looking dire for the Avengers and, and, and everybody. Well, meanwhile, I have no idea what to make of Forever Evil. This Justice League of America number eight was the tie in this week, and I don't know how to follow this story. There's no tie there's no through line. It's just random issues. Some of them are tied in, some of them are not. They're tied yeah. in different ways. We had the villains month, which was tied in, but it wasn't necessarily, depending on the the comic and so is this the end of it, or I don't even know. But this issue, um, <laughs> the one of the big things that's been going on is the Justice League is dead. We killed the Justice League. Well, here they are. They're, okay. in this, they're in this issue. If you were looking for them, if you had missed the Justice League here, they were found here. I don't know how you would know that if you weren't, you know, like reading every single thing with Forever Evil on it. But this seems to be a fairly pivotal issue. But here it is. And as Martian Manhunter and Star Girl find a prison underground that has all of the Justice League members in it as they are being. Uh, ripped apart psychologically, so everybody's greatest fears are being amplified in these prison, different prison levels they're on, they're in, and it's it was a fine issue, but it's just like I don't know, I have no through line, I have no way to hold on to the story when when it just seems completely random. But. Yeah, because I mean that's what we were saying with the the villains month stuff was that like there's no connective tissue aside from the fact there's that the no Justice is dead <laughs> at all. But like yeah, it's just it, it it's very like episodic sort of just showcases, but then some of them have the, the Justice League thing in the background and like 
was it Ultraman? Yep. Moving the moon. Right. Um, like that stuff's in the in the background, but it seems just sort of ancillary to just doing a showcase for the villains. Whereas like Azarello just used it to, you know, talk about his firstborn villain. Right. And in, it's in, just in the there's just nothing thing. to hold it's, on to for me in terms of a story. There's no story that's being told as far as I can tell. I mean, maybe I'm reading the wrong ones, but I should know <laughs> there should be a a mini that's got the story in it. That's I mean, I just I need to know what I'm reading here. And uh, I don't. But this was good. <laughs> Doug Monkey drew it. So anyway, uh, those are the books of the week we're going to talk about. You, gotta, uh, you can't go to iFanboy.com slash comic. I went into autopilot there. The reason why I went into autopilot is because... You just talking. broke everybody's heart. They got so excited for <laughs> two seconds. It's like, we can go back. Well, let me, let me tell you what happened here. I, uh, we're going to talk about the book of the month. We're still going to do the book of the month discussions. And this, this we're talking about October's book of the month. And here's the mistake I made. We started recording the show. I'm in California. The sun was up. The sun is now down, but I did not turn on any lights in anticipation of the sun being down. So I can't actually <laughs> see what I'm holding in my hands. Which, you don't remember what the book of the I month is. I have the book of the month in my hand, but I can't really. It's all I have is the light of this tiny laptop monitor. Okay, uh, well I'll tell you, it's Jack Kirby's OMAC One Man Army Corps. Correct. This was the collection that DC put out last month, collecting Jack Kirby's original OMAC story. Now, funny story about, and we, Paul and I are big fans of the New Fifty Two OMAC book. That yes, uh, that's the Mohawk guy, right? Yes, correct. Yes, Giffen yes. and uh, Dan DiDio and Scott Kobush did that book, and. It went eight, eight issues and it was canceled. So did Jack Kirby's original OMAC story. It only went eight issues, which is a strange, either coincidence or by design kind of thing. But mm. after Kirby left Marvel and all of the rigmarole about the going back and the, his, the rights to his characters and, and his original art and all that stuff, he went over to DC to do a bunch of work and created the New Gods and he created Darkseid and all those things. And, and then he also did a book called OMAC. Which was, it's so very much of its time. It's, it's um, I believe, and I can't find, I can't read anything in here. I believe it's the 70s. And it's basically one man army courts. It's, it's, what, it's, it's similar to the, the new one in that there's this guy and he's turned into, my bro- brother I turns him into this one man wrecking crew who goes around fighting uh, bad guys. Some of them is about human trafficking. Some of it's about warfare. I mean, there's all, he's all, he just runs around fighting evil, basically. While working for a very UN type organization of guys wearing creepy red masks, because as every issue tells you, they are of every nation, and therefore you cannot see their face because they have to represent everyone. So they have, they they delight in reminding that uh, OMAC of that in every issue. But uh, it's a it's a it's sort of a fascinating look into. I don't want to say Kirby's madness because he's not crazy. It's just it's very much him looking at society and and writing about writing and drawing about it. There's a really creepy issue in which rich old people kidnap young people and have their brains transplanted into their bodies. And, uh, and it's weird. It's like an auction. They have an auction of these kidnapped young people, and they're like, oh, I want that one. I want the blonde one. And, and then they get, they get brain transferred in. And it was just, it's just weird. It's, he, I think he's looking at the world and just seeing a cultural revolution. And you know, he's a guy from the 40s. He fought World War II, and it's all a little freaky. And not, it's, not the, it's not like the young people are bad. It's just the world is changing, so he's trying to interpret that in his work. And it's just a lot of... A lot of strange things going on, and just really dynamic, crazy Kirby art. And the thing that's interesting about it is, he left the book rather abruptly, and so in order to make that make sense, they had somebody come in and draw a final panel that wrapped the whole series up very quickly. Just in the final panel. Yes, it's not even. It's just it's a it's a sound effect, and then a two caption boxes saying, "Yep, the book's over," 
and everything was okay in the end. And it was, it's just very, very weird. It was very trippy. I, I felt like is it uh, like less number of pages than usual that issue or no? They like, just they like literally it wasn't supposed to be the last issue, but since it was, they had somebody just come in and draw a panel saying, "But below." The effort has caused an overload in Dr. Scuba's equipment. The island explodes in a giant fireball. And his very success brings destruction to the evil Scuba. Is this the end? The end. end. Um, Maybe, I don't know, Omax just like a, it's like a Nova. Like he, yeah. he, he, he glows so brightly, he burns brightly for just an he... instant and then burns out just as quickly. It's, it's very dense. It's sort of like we were talking about the nine panel grids earlier and yeah, uh, this is eight issues, and it took me probably the better part of a week to read because this is you know old school comics, so they just cram in the panels, they cram in the word balloons, they cram in the caption boxes, and well, the captions basically explaining everything that's happening that you yeah. can see visually. <laughs> Which I love. I love. See, I love that stuff, and I love old comics. Yeah, and like that's um, it, it. I I kind of it's charming. Like I uh, my most of my experience with with Kirby is from like the fourth world stuff. Like the Newsboy Legion and with Commandy, right. um, I haven't read Omac, but um, with Commandy it can be a little bit discouraging. I was like, yeah, obviously that's what's going on. I can see it. Like I, the the store, the visual storytelling is so good. You don't need that stuff in there. But then also it's just like it's it's so it's so quaint and of its time that you kind of love it. Mm-hmm. It's it's a little bit cozy. So. Uh, Omac is a character. Is it just like? Is it all missions, or does he have a personal? Oh, no, life? he's it's he's on he's on he's he's got business to take care of, and he takes care of the business. You know, we only really learn of him in the beginning when he becomes Omac, and then from there it's just from one mission to the next. It's really creepy. I just opened a page up to find a woman in a box. She's just a head and a and, and hands and two legs, but she's talking. It's very weird. It's very weird book. He said, so "Do you think it's like it's it's Kirby?" kind of solving or, or or coping with societal problems I really, I really things think that he sees i think there's a lot of things in here about you know the 70s was a strange time coming out of the 60s the up social upheaval and it's not again it's not a critique of youth culture at all but there's certainly things in it you know of technology being too rampant uh, obsession with youth that kind of thing. Is it possible he was just really, really high? It's possible, but it's also possible that his brain just worked in this other level of creativity mm-hmm. that all kinds of just strange ideas lived in, and he they just he had to get them out. And because uh, you know, there's more, there's more imagination in this page in this each page of this book than you'll find in a lot of comics. Because he, I never really, it's weird, but like I, even though you know, just responsible for Kirby dots and a lot of that cosmic stuff. Like I, whenever I look at even the weirdest Kirby stuff, it's not. I don't get like psychedelia out of it. I get like, and maybe that's just his age, but I I just get wild, unfettered imagination. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. He does great uh, chapter pages in this. He gives them giant titles and a little a, a melodramatic little intro at the top. It's wonderful. Cool. Just wonderful. And I was also in this in this collection put in some of the uh, original pages. You can see where he wrote in the titles and wrote it in the he wrote in the captions and wrote in the he wrote in the dialogue balloons and everything. That's he, was, he did this whole entire thing himself. He wrote, drew, and edit, edited the whole the, the series. Of course, he did, along with fifteen other series at the same time. <laughs> exactly. I, I think I'm not sure, but check if you're a fan of Kirby's or Omac, check out Jack Kirby's Omac One Man Army Corps. And I wish I could give you more details, but I literally cannot see the pages very well. So sorry. <laughs> Um, is it nice? Is it nice paper? That's always a thing. With it's actually not. It's actually. Um, I mean, I think I think they're realistic about the the potential audience for this book, 
and uh, it's it's rough pages. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it looks great because that's you know this, the art wasn't really meant for slick glossy work. So rough pages, but good stuff. Now let's cram at least one email in here, depending on how long we go from the audience. Let's read R3V's email. He says. I didn't expect much from Avengers Arena, but like many, I was pleasantly surprised. Originally, I think the creator stated that this was going to be an ongoing series, but now I guess it's set to end after issue 18. I suppose that's for the best, since many of us are wondering how could they could continue this arena-themed book after the storyline wraps up. This has got me thinking about all new X-Men. Will Bendis at some point send them back to the past? If so, then what happens to the book? Could it be continued on with them in their own time period? What do you think is the future of this book? A thing that Marvel's doing, which they haven't like announced, they haven't said, you know, this is what we're doing, but I think what they're doing is, from what I've been told, and Avengers Arena isn't ending, it's just continuing on with a new title and a new number. And one. that's that's always been part of the plan. Yeah, it's it's they're sort of doing volumes of stories. They're not really doing never ending sagas. Interesting. Yeah. So like Avengers Arena, the first volume is them in the arena, and the second volume is them out of the arena escaping. And they start over with the number one and they start the story over again. Sort of like seasons and TV and TV seasons are uh, yeah, I've done some some interviews for for Marvel.com with with uh, Dennis Hopeless about that, and it's it's always sort of been the plan that it, it, Avengers Arena is a finite narrative, yeah. and this is the next thing. Now they're also saying you know it's a, it's a new start, like so anybody could pick this up even if you hadn't read Avengers Arena, but it, there's clearly some fallout from Arena in Avengers Undercover, right. Which is the next volume? And also, there's Zemo. There's Baron Zemo. So it's yeah. I mean, I think they're doing more. It's like kind of like when when Remender took over on X Force. They made Uncanny X Force. They started it over in a volume one. I think that's sort of the model they're going for. Is it, these creators have a story to tell? They get their volume or two volumes or whatever, and they do that and then they start over again. Now, all new X Men. There's no reason why the book can't continue on without the original X Men, and it's not like it's called original X Men. You know, it's just called All New X-Men. So, the, and there are, so like, what, the what whole, would it be about then? Well, I mean, just that team. You know, What team? The other X-Men in the book. There's other X-Men in the book. The book's not, I mean, Yeah, but it's... I mean, it would be interesting because the other X-Men that are in that book are the X-Men that are in... You know, they're either pulling in from Uncanny, which is Cyclops' right. new team, or they're pulling in from Wolverine and the X-Men. Right. And I, so it, it is kind of interesting to see what they would do in the second volume of that. But I do think that they kind of have to go back eventually. You'd think um, so, although they seem to imply that Gene never does, apparently, according to the, this storyline. But I think, I, I mean... They have to go back, has, clearly. Otherwise, it's a... It's a, it's a, it's a they it's, have to go back. It's a paradox. Because, right. Well, in this, in, in, in the most recent issue of... Which one is it? Is it all... No, it's Uncanny. I'm sorry. Uncanny X-Men that just came out this week... They tried to send them back and they couldn't. Right. And they they suggested that maybe it's because they've they've been here so in in the present for so long and seen so much that they're no longer bound by temporal laws or whatever. So like they they'd be an anachronism even if they were sent back. They so now they're clearly an artifact of this era now. Like they, they've claim, almost claimed it as their own. They've just like. You know, sunk their claws into it, and so I think I think they're here, here to stay, for was, a, a was, good while. It was funny that issue when that one guy went back in time very briefly to make sure it was actually working, and he said he saw Professor X in the garden. And I, do you think he's wondering where the X Men are? Like, didn't I have a bunch of kids? Well, that's the, I mean, well, that's the wonky thing with you know time travel stuff is like they could be here for a while, but then like you send them back like 
the second after, you know, they disappeared. Or the whole Battle of the Atom thing has shown that it's it's even more complex than we thought in terms of like adding the the future generations mm-hmm. of X Men and like they're not even there just to for I, I want to say humanitarian but mutanitarian reasons to <laughs> like uh, benign reasons to uh, to save the future. It's more selfish, right. and that's caused the clash between other future X-Men, including um, Motorhead, Stash, Colossus, who's the coolest character ever. Um, <laughs> has a sword now. So I think, I think, I think, Ali, I think you're right. They could very easily just end the book if that story ended, because it, there's nothing that says you can't end a book. But I also think you could just take the title and continue it on with a new title. Yeah, yeah, you could. And there are, I mean, and I, it could be like the super future team or there's the new mutants that are hanging out with Cyclops. Yeah, there's uh, all kinds of things you can do. School, like the, there, there, there are plenty of X Men that they could fill. Yeah, no an all new X Men book with a new team. As long as none of them are Gambit. I just live in the now, man. I I love that it's happening now, yeah. and I try not to think yeah. about where it's going to go. That's true. R three V or Rev, perhaps. I I I, I, I want to entertain this idea about sending them back to the past, because that could also be interesting, of having characters that go back in time and they know about the future and we also get to see them you know in in the past maybe have some of the present x-men stuck in the past as as well like have Mm -hmm. wolverine go back because he wasn't around at that point at least not with the x-men um the cynical side of me says that the audience wouldn't care because it's not now and and that's that's true yeah trapped in the past i don't think is a cool it's not happening now. i I don't think it would fly I would I would read the heck I out would of it. I read the heck out of that. I love that book. Um, I love these characters because I do want to see what happens when they go back, and if and if Xavier really does just wipe their brains so that it doesn't screw up. The rest I hate of that my flights of really fancy have to be tempered by what boring people like. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good. I, I think I, that, I, I think listen, that would be fun. Allie and I are both saying we would read the hell out of your book. Okay. So what, what yeah. do you want from us? You know what, like you they go to a to Stewart the concert and <laughs> they could they just be an all just a bunch concert. of 80s jokes a bunch of uh, shoulder pads that's what I'm saying like it could be fun like I don't know do some specials or something they doesn't don't have, have they don't have a hair like they just came from the 80s their hair doesn't seem to was no that's that's the other thing that like cause and when they first came in like Jean's hair looked very mad many yeah it was straight out of the 60s yet they clearly I mean yeah Anyway. I don't know. Maybe there's seventies. Because Hank, Hank has some too. some murder she wrote glasses, like those huge glasses. Yeah, he does. You think you think one of them would have feathered hair or something? Yeah. Flock of Bobby, Bobby es- especially Angel. I feel Angel like would have flock of seagulls like, haircut. Well, somebody would be new wave. Yeah. Come on. Edward, aka Heroville, says something I've been mulling over. Who would uh, who would you say are the best female mystery slash crime writers in comics? I ask because while I recognize that there is a, uh, a strata of male writers who are immediately praised for their ability in the subgenre, I realize that I can't think of any women who are, and I'd like to correct this ignorance on my part. I was thinking about this before, and I think the part of the problem is there's not a lot of crime mystery comics. I think that's what it is too, because I don't, I don't know. Well, I don't. They really end up being sort of, of and I don't want to say it, I don't want to say it this way, but like vanity projects, like. Brubaker can like l- clearly loves that stuff and can do them because he's Brubaker. Or Rucka, but I mean they just don't make or a Rucka, lot of these. But comics. like they don't like that. That's like they wouldn't just do 
a mystery like 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 green light a mystery series from just anybody so it ends up being like the superstars doing them through like icon kind of imprints or you know like bendis with scarlet is i don't know that's not really a crime but yeah that's uh, not really okay, crime. So, the, the only thing i could think of was jen van meter did a black cat miniseries a few years ago mm-hmm. that had amanda connor amanda connor covers and it was a a fun heist kind of thing. Yes, those were. But good. that's um, not really mystery or crime. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to think of what's a mystery crime book now. And I mean, Ruck is not even doing one right now. He's doing. Lashes. See, I would go to. Well, some, I, yeah, Summertown I, uh, was. I love crime fiction. Like I, I, I read a lot of crime novels, and some of my favorite crime writers. I think most of my favorite crime writers are women. And so, and a, a few of them have written comics. So, like Denise Mina. Yes, uh, she did one wrote, of those Vertigo crime books, didn't she? She, yes, yeah, she she did the Vertigo, one of the like last ones of those Vertigo crime books. She also is writing the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo adaptations for DC or Vertigo, or whatever it is. And she's she's really good. She's a Scottish crime writer. She's fantastic. Megan Abbott, also mostly known. As being a, a novelist and a crime novelist, wrote an issue of uh, Punisher Punisher Max. It was, it was after Jason Aaron's run. They did a couple of one shots, and she and so she did that. And um, I'm hoping she does some more comic stuff. Yeah, I think that's. A, I mean, the problem is there's not. A, there's not. It's 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 just a hard to write to figure out who would be a good male crime writer because there's only really three or four got people doing crime comics at all. And then I would just I would just say like Karina Becco with Gabriel Hartman did that. Um, what the hell is the book? The Swamp Book. The Swamp Thing. Swamp? No, <laughs> it's the Swamp Thing. Let me look it up. So there you go, Edward. Paul's gonna look up your answer, and unfortunately, there aren't just not a lot of examples of the genre to choose from. But uh, hopefully, there will be more. I hope. In the meantime, while Paul continues to look, we can you can email us at contact at ifanboy.com or call our voice by line at. Heathen Town. Heathen Town. 888-FANBOYS-326-2697 <laughs> to leave us a voicemail. Tell us your name and where you're from. Keep your voicemails around 30 seconds. It's and not crime, but it's pulp. Now, Paul, quickly plug your crime show. My crime show. The Breaking show, Bad uh, Podcast. <laughs> the Breaking Bad Podcast is called uh, Fuzzy Typewriter, and uh, we just wrapped up doing episode-by-episode breakdowns of, of Breaking Bad, this final eight episodes uh, with uh, Rebecca Shinsky of Book Riot and Book Rages. She's fantastic. She'll be back to talk about some more stuff soon. Maybe some Mad Men next year. Do it. Do it. And what else? We just end. And then Dave, my usual, Dave Dave Acampo, my usual co-host, was on recently. We talked about Gravity. Uh, Coming up, we'll be talking about 12 Angry Men with our buddy Cameron Rice. So that's that's coming up on Fuzzy Typewriter. You can find us at fuzzytypewriter.com. Cool. Head over to ifanboy.com to comment about this show. You can talk. You can if we've missed some crime writers, please tell us in the comments. Also follow us at twitter.com/ifanboy, facebook.com/ifanboy. That's where you can find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out. Therefore, if you're ready for the show, you're all set to go on Sunday when it comes out live. Is it live? Can you tell I haven't yes. eaten dinner? <laughs> starting to fade and uh, and get stupider. And you're alone in the dark. And I'm alone room. in the dark. It's just a very also sad life not helping here in the situation. Yeah. <laughs> California, I was promised much happier things. I thought it was always sunny, like always. It is until the earth tilts away from the sun and then we can't do anything about it. Stupid earth. Stupid earth.
You can email the guys at contact at ifanboy.com or leave a voicemail message at one eight 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 fanboys three eight no I. And you can ask them questions, comments, concerns, discussion topics, campfire songs, anything Ooh. on your mind. Campfire songs, that's a good one. And if you dig this kind of thing, write us a review on iTunes or better yet, you can tell your friends about us, introduce your mother to podcasts, word to your mom, spread the iFanboy word. Well, that's it for the show. Allie, thank you for joining us. You were wonderful. Please come back soon. Thank you for having me. You're much nicer and more polite than some of the people we've had on lately, whose name I won't mention, but they're also called Ryan and Mike sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. That's it for this week's show. I'm Connor. I'm Paul. I'm Allie. Oh. I'm Allie. Sorry. Paul jumped on Allie's line. See, Allie, you're the only person. I'm usually second. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm rusty. I was gone. I was doing so well and following the script. Goodbye. Goodbye.